Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey everyone, happy 2024. I hope you and your loved ones had an enjoyable holiday season and are looking forward to the new year. We are just days away from college tennis matches kicking off, and on today's episode, we are continuing our men's preview content by talking about the contenders. If you missed the last episode, we are breaking down the 2024 men's season with four episodes. You can catch the teams to watch for better or worse on the No Ad No Problem feed. These were teams we think could make big jumps or a step backwards in the 2024 new year. On today's show, we're going to talk about three teams we think could potentially go all the way if things break in their favor. Then we'll round out our preseason content with our favorites episode. These are the teams we think are most likely to win the title. And then lastly, we will do a mailbag and a predictions episode. So make sure to get in your questions on Twitter at JTweetsTennis or on Instagram at NoAdNoProblem. I am riding solo today as Ethan is off on a little holiday vacation, but he'll be back to break down our next two episodes. So again, if you missed the first one, how we break these downs is we start with the team's recap of 2023. We'll talk about why the team is in the category we have placed them. We'll go through the projected lineup. We will address the biggest question or the reason that they could fall out of this category. And lastly, we will make a NCAA prediction. So let's go ahead and get started with the contenders. And again, these are teams that I can talk myself into, realistically, winning a national championship in 2024. If it's not one of our top two teams in, spoiler alert, Texas and Virginia, these would be the next teams up. If you are not in this tier at this point, I don't think there's any realistic shot of you winning the title. And we'll start today by going in reverse order, meaning of these three teams, this first team, Stanford, is the team I think is least likely to make that jump to claim the 2024 crown. So Stanford, it's a team I know quite well, born and raised here in the Bay Area, and it's one of the most decorated programs in college tennis. However, Stanford men's tennis hasn't won a title since 2000 nor have they made an NCAA quarterfinal since 2012. We have been in a historically bad drought for Stanford men's tennis. And it has not been the standard of what Stanford holds itself to. And 2023 was pretty emblematic of that. They not only returned one of the best players in the country in Arthur Ferry, but they also added last year two former junior Grand Slam champions as freshmen. Samir Banerjee won the Wimbledon Junior Singles title and reached a high of number two in the world junior rankings. And Nishesh Basavretti won the U.S. Open Junior Doubles title, and he reached number three in the singles rankings. They bring in an extremely highly touted freshman class, something that has often happened over the years at Stanford. But 
they couldn't really get out of their own way. They had a lot of different injuries that hit them over the course of the season. They really struggled down low in the lineup at five and six, and they ultimately finished with a 16 and 11 record, and they fall once again in the NCAA round of 16, failing to get back to that quarterfinal stage where they have not been since 2012. So after that 2023 season, why are they in this category? What makes them a title contender in 2024? Well, it's a lot of different things. The first is that Arthur Ferry, who would be in his fourth year at Stanford, is currently 268 in the ATP World Rankings after a very successful indoor European fall season at the ATP Challenger level. His teammate, Nishesh Basavretti, has finally gotten healthy. He has resolved his wrist issues over the course of this summer and fall. He was able to take advantage of the ATP Accelerator program and also have success at the ATP Challenger level, including a run in the Northern California Fairfield Final. They also returned Samir Banerjee, who was 15-5 and last season, a Max Basing, who was top 10 in the country after the fall he had last year. And that's just the returners. They also bring in, once again, a top recruiting class in the country. They bring in three freshmen, Kyle Kang, Hudson Rivera, both from California, and Nico Godsick, all of whom who have been in the top 10 in their high school class at least one point or another. Kyle Kang was the ITA number one newcomer in the country this year. So they are a contender because they not only have tippy-top talent, I would say Ferry and Basavretti are two of the top five or six best players in college tennis. They also have a lot of depth this year. Those three freshmen, any of them could play four through six, and you feel pretty comfortable about any of them there. And that is going to be a luxury in a season where a lot of other top teams maybe drop off a little bit at five and six. So with that talent, with some of that experience as well, they're absolutely a contender for the title this year. In terms of the projected lineup, as I mentioned, you have Ferry and Basavaretti who are going to play one and two. You're going to have Banerjee and Basing who are likely going to play three and four. That way you can afford to have a Kyle Kang, number one newcomer in the country, down at maybe five, Hudson Rivera at six. Uh, and then I would say Neil Rajesh and Nico Godsick. Neil Rajesh, a returner. Nico Godsick, the freshman, uh, fight it out th there for that seven spot. I will say Nico Godsick is definitely a factor in doubles, if not singles. He won back to back Kalamazoo doubles titles in the 16s and the 18s. Really great doubles player, has good hands, likes to come to net. So with all that talent, what is the biggest open question or reason that they would fall out of this category? Well, of course, the big elephant in the room is, does Arthur Ferry even return for his fourth and final year at Stanford? As of this recording on 1229, which feels like an important timestamp here, given how fluid these sort of situations are, he is still on the Stanford roster, and he's made no official statement of not coming back. On the flip side, there's really no indication that he will come back whenever he speaks about 
pro tennis or gives interviews, he talks about starting his pro journey. And he has had lots of success, as I mentioned, playing in the Wimbledon main draw this year against number three in the world, Daniel Medvedev, making deep runs and challengers this fall. So I would say it is unlikely at this point that he will return. You could potentially see a situation where he enrolls for the spring quarter. I believe Carol Zhao back in 2016 might have done something similar at Stanford. So that's always a possibility that he kind of pinch hits a little bit for this Stanford team and figures out a challenger schedule that can accommodate that. But the other thing is, and I'm just throwing this out there, Nico Godzik, he's the son of Tony Godzik, who is Roger Federer's agent, and Mary Jo Fernandez, former top five player in the world. And all I'm saying is that if I'm Tony Godzik, I might give Arthur Ferry a call and suggest he partner with Nico in doubles, make a nice run in NCAAs, and then at the end of that run in May, late May, find himself with some sweet, maybe on clothing, on running deals like they've hooked up Ben Shelton with. It doesn't feel out of the realm of possibilities, but you never know. We'll have to see what happens with Arthur Ferry. That is obviously the big question that is hovering over this Stanford program. I will say the one other question that is important to bring up and a reason that they could potentially fall out of contender status is the fact that Max Basing, who has been so solid for this team at the two through four positions and reached top 10 in the country after his fall last season, he hasn't played a match since May. I know he has struggled with injuries down the home stretch of the 2023 season. Seems like he is likely dealing with something as well throughout the summer and fall. So I don't know if he is ready to go for January, but that will, of course, play a big factor that moves everyone up a spot there. And then you do start to wonder about some of the depth. So a very intriguing Stanford team as they are year after year, it feels, just because they continue to bring in so much talent and, frankly, underperform on that talent. So in terms of NCAA prediction for 2024, I think you have to do a with Arthur Ferry and without him. I think with Arthur Ferry, no injuries, full health. Of course, this team is absolutely capable of winning an NCAA title. Do I think they get it? No. I would say just the fact that they haven't been there in so long, there's going to be rust. There's going to be inexperience at those late stages of NCAAs. I would say at best, I think they could reach the NCAA semifinal. I think it's a very different story without Arthur Ferry. Then you're looking at Abbas Avredi, who will be an excellent number one. Everyone moves up. You start to question. Now you have to rely on maybe two of the three freshmen or maybe all of the freshmen, I think this team could find themselves once again in the NCAA round of 16 as their final match of the season. So that is the Stanford Cardinal. The team I think is absolutely a contender with Arthur Ferry, but 
within this group probably needs the most things to break their way. They need full health, they need fairy back. So let's move up the totem pole one spot and talk about the next team, TCU. So in his 13 years at the helm of TCU, David Roditi has really taken the Horn Frogs to the top of college tennis. They have been ranked number one in each of the past two seasons. They've also won the indoor title both of those years, but they haven't yet gotten over the NCAA semifinal hump. They've made the quarterfinal six times in the Roditi era, and they've progressed to the semifinal twice, including 2023, but that is where their runs have ended. And Overall, when I look back on the 2023 season, they were consistently one of the best teams. As I mentioned, they were the indoor champion. They were 26-3, and two of those losses coming to Texas. They were the Big 12 tournament champions, but ultimately their season came to an end against Ohio State 4-0 after they really ran out of gas playing Michigan in the quarterfinal. Hot, humid conditions. They did not show up with as much energy as Ohio State did in that semifinal. And I think that very clearly showed, of course, ironically, given that TCU is should be much more familiar with that hot weather playing in the Fort Worth, Texas area compared to Columbus, Ohio. But that was how the match turned out in the semifinal. So why is TCU a contender? So As I've mentioned, they've firmly established themselves in the upper echelon of college tennis. They are a premier program year in, year out, particularly hitting their stride in the post-COVID era, and they return a really strong core of players who had that experience making the semifinal last year or the run the previous year where they also won the indoor title. They return their number one player from last year, Jake Fernley. They also return Jack Pennington-Jones, Sebastian Gorsny, Pedro Vives, Louis Maxted, and Thomas Yurosek, all of whom who have had pretty significant playing time during their years with the Horn Frogs, but they do lose some really key contributors from the 2023 season, and that was fifth year's Luke Fomba and Sander Jong, both who have done so much winning for TCU. Fumba, who's a five-time All-American, is actually the winningest player in TCU's Big 12 era. Sander Jong, who was, I feel like, the indoor king. He was 23-6 and at the ITA indoor tournament. He won so many critical matches for them. He was a massive contribution to a lot of their most successful doubles teams over the years. So those are really big shoes to fill. And we'll talk about what the what pieces they have brought in to fill those shoes. In terms of the players who are returning, Jake Fernley has continued his rise. I would say it was a surprise to me to see him at number one last season. I thought maybe that would be Fomba. There was a lot of expectations for Jack Pennington to step into that number one spot, but it was Fernley who really held his own last season. He's continued that form, took the fall off playing pro events. He also won a 25k title in singles this summer. And the rest of those core contributors that I already mentioned all really had good falls. You had Jack Pennington, who seems to be hitting his stride in college, making the ITA Fall Nats final. You had Pedro Vives making the final of the Texas Regional. 
Vives also had a fantastic summer and fall on the ITF Pro Circuit. And you know they're always so strong in doubles. You never really worry about that with TCU. So the returners are in a really good position. They bring in three freshmen, most notably Duncan Chan, who was a former ITF top 75 player in the world. He had a lot of success this fall in doubles with Louis Maxted. Although his UTR at a 12-3 is, I would say, lower than what you are expecting to see from a TCU, you know, number five or number six. So the lineup is where I think it gets a little interesting because you have Fernley, Pennington, Vives, Gorsny, and Maxted all as locks for the lineup. The question becomes who plays six? Is it Jirosek? Is it Duncan Chan at six? And that leads me to really my biggest question. And one of the most surprising things for me this entire offseason is that we haven't gotten a big player announcement from TCU. Now, again, this is December 29th, so there is still time. But I really thought that when you lose two massive contributors in Luke Fumba, in Sander Jong, that TCU, who has recruited consistently at a very high level, that they would bring in replacements at a equal level. And their three freshmen aren't even close to the level of a Luke Fumba or Sander Jong. I mentioned Duncan Chan, who is at a 12-3 UTR. I mean, these other contenders have players at a 13-3, a 13-5 who are looking at playing five or six. So none of those three come close to looking like singles contributors. And so I'm operating under the assumption that losing Jong and Fumba freed up a good chunk of scholarship money that those three freshmen are not receiving. And so for me, there's only two explanations for the reason why they feel one player short and why we never really got that big announcement. The first is that the Fomba and Jong money went to the returning players to keep them from transferring or to come back for a fifth year like Fernley. And then the other option is that they're still holding out for at least one other guy. So that still lingers for me in this TCU conversation because something just isn't adding up. And even if they've whiffed maybe or lost a few recruiting battles, you would think they if they had two guys leaving, maybe you don't whiff on all of them. So that's the big thing that I'm looking for with this TCU lineup, the, the thing I'm questioning. And then the one other thing is that uh, Pedro Vivas has had a fantastic fall. I mentioned he meet, reached the Texas Regional Singles Final he had great pro results on the clay, but we had seen that before from him, and this was a player who was left out of the NCAA singles lineup and wasn't able to translate some of that pro success to the dual match format. So I'm curious to see where he factors in to the lineup based on his fall results. He could play as high as three, uh, but he didn't play in the NCAA tournament last year and wasn't great for them 
are certainly not as great as you would expect given his pro and fall results in the 2023 season. So him translating those pro results will be a key factor to TCU's success. I really don't have any doubts about Fernley, Pennington, or Gorsney or doubles. So I think they have a pretty solid core group, but they aren't impenetrable at one through four. And so that's why I'm curious about five and six are definitely their most vulnerable positions relative to the very top of college tennis right now. So with that, my NCAA prediction for the TCU Horned Frogs is another semifinal. Now, this is a team that with those core guys, they've gotten to the semifinals before. They know what that takes. They will certainly have a bitter taste from that match against Ohio State in the semifinals. But ultimately, I think without any sort of other addition, I think they're going to be one, maybe even two guys short uh, in the singles particularly relative to even to in-conference foe like Texas. There's just a talent gap there at five, six, and seven that TCU has not made up. But again, TCU always knocking on the door of the NCAA title, and certainly they will be a factor at indoors as they have somewhat ironically proven that they are pretty adept at indoor tennis. All right, so the last team here in this contender tier, but the team I think most likely of the three to jump up and win the title in 2024 is 2023 NCAA finalist Ohio State. Ohio State has just been so good for so long, and the way Coach Ty Tucker has taken a cold-weather indoor school and broken into the top of a largely California-based or Southern State-dominated sport in his 20-plus years at the helm has been truly phenomenal. I continue to be impressed by the way players develop in the program from junior to senior year. And I mentioned TCU has been knocking on the door, but no one has been knocking on the door of a national championship this consistently for this long as the Ohio State Buckeyes. And 2023 was no different. 2023 was the third time the Buckeyes reached the NCAA final, the first since 2018. And they handled the elements in Orlando much better than many Southern teams, notably that NCAA semifinal match against TCU. And this Buckeye squad ran up against a team that was better in the bigger moments who had just gotten over that finish line before in Virginia. And so why they are in the contender category versus the favorites category, especially given the fact that this team returns everyone from last season's roster except one player, James Trotter. Well, the simple answer for why they are a contender and not a favorite for me is that Ohio State will always be uh, in this contender tier and not a favorite until these players and this coaching staff get over the finish line by winning an NCAA title in May. You look at the two teams that we have as favorites this season in Texas and Virginia, Texas with Bruce Burke at the helm won in 2019, and this Virginia squad just won back-to-back titles. 
And so with the incoming talent these teams have and that experience, for me, it just makes them a slight cut above Ohio State. That's the simple answer, which is essentially like, you got to show it before you can really elevate yourself into that favorite tier. The longer answer is that Trotter was undefeated for them at number four, and he won the NCAA doubles championship with Andrew Luchanik, who is going to be back for his sixth year. But Trotter was a really big contributor for Ohio State in 2023, and they didn't bring in any new freshmen who can immediately replace him. Sure, Alex Bernard and Jack Anthrop are more than capable of stepping up higher into that lineup and likely reproducing very similar results to James Trotter, but then you have the hole at number six. And so that is a a big factor. But certainly, if you listen to my interview with fifth-year Cannon Kingsley on why he decided to come back for his fifth year and what the expectations are for this Ohio State team, it is absolutely to win a national championship. I know they will be reflecting on that final in May from Orlando, and they certainly have the talent to do it because there is an immense amount of talent on this team, and these players continue to get better. You have Justin Boulay and Cannon Kingsley, who both took the fall off and made very deep runs in challengers, both claimed a challenger doubles title. Boulay also won a 25K singles title. You have Robert Cash, who continues to be the best doubles player in college tennis right now, regardless of who he partners with. You have Jack Anthrop, 12-3 and record this fall. J.J. Tracy, 10-2 and this fall, making deep runs at national tournaments. This team is absolutely loaded. And when you look at the projected lineup, it almost doesn't matter. And that's probably a good thing because you really never know what lineup you're going to get with Ty Tucker. But there's five guys who are going to play in some order, and that's Cannon Kingsley, Justin Boulay, Jack Anthrop, JJ Tracy, and Alex Bernard. Those are your top five. You can lock it in, and I think you can lock in your top six indoors. Robert Cash, I don't think he lost a match last season indoors. He'll play number six indoors. That's your top six. The question on the lineup becomes outdoors. Who plays six? Robert Cash didn't get the call outdoors last year. Maybe it's one of the freshmen, Preston Stearns, maybe it's Bryce Nakashima, both the younger brothers of heralded Brandon Nakashima, top 100 player on the ATP side, Peyton Stearns, top 100 player on the WTA side. So maybe one of them builds some experience this spring and can factor in down outdoors. Maybe it's Andrew Luchanik in his sixth year have to see who plays six. That is certainly the open question for them. What would cause Ohio State to fall out of contender category? Nothing. (laughs) They are not falling out of this category. Now, I will say the schedule isn't out yet, but you pretty much know they're going to play a brutally tough schedule prior to indoors and probably immediately after indoors before they get ready to kind of walk through the Big Ten schedule. So they're pretty much guaranteed, barring something unforeseen like an injury, to be a top four seed because of that. And that gets me to my NCAA prediction because 
I think, oh, it's very likely this could come down to the draw. And Ohio State could absolutely be the number one heading into NCAAs. At this point, again, December 29th, I would say Ohio State would be my favorite for the ITA indoor title. They're just so good at doubles and so good indoors as well that they're probably going to reel off a lot of indoor victories, both immediately prior and immediately post indoors. They could win indoors and then it's maybe they get tripped up in one of their outdoor matches if they go to a Texas this year. Again, schedule not out yet for Ohio State. Tough to totally tell, but I think it's very possible Ohio State is your number one seed for NCAAs, and that will significantly help them. Guess who they don't have to play both? They don't have to play both Texas and Virginia. They don't have to play one. And I think that will help significantly. It's the reason I think this Ohio State team will get back to the NCAA final, but I think their run ends there again. Now, the thing that has changed with Ohio State is they have a lot more, I would say, outdoor players. Jack Anthrop, Alex Bernard, both from Florida. We saw that work quite well in Orlando last year. JJ Tracy, very well suited for outdoor tennis. I would say Cannon Kingsley, either outdoor, indoor, doesn't really matter. And that's been a shift over the years in in the Ty Tucker era. And so I think this team now has the experience. They have that bitter taste in their mouth reflecting back on their loss last year. But I think they do come up one match short. I think when I compare them to this Texas team, I think there's a slight talent gap as you get down to maybe the sixth spot with Texas. And I think there is an experience gap right now with Virginia. And so I think because of that, I don't see them winning the NCAA title this year. And again, it's just so hard to get over that hump. But we've seen them knock on the door so many times. And maybe this second try in 2024 with pretty much all the same players is what gets them over that hump. So those are your contenders, Stanford, TCU, Ohio State on the shortlist for potentially winning the NCAA men's team title in 2024. Let me know your thoughts on this list of contenders. Who do you think could emerge and take the 2024 title? Also, be sure to vote in some of the polls I'll post on Instagram at noadnoproblem and send in your questions for our mailbag and prediction episode. Do you have questions about any of these contender teams, predictions about them in more detail? Let us know. I'll be back soon with Ethan in tow to preview our favorites, Texas and Virginia, very soon. Thanks, everyone, and Happy New Year.